Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to that little church, church that he has never visited, but that was probably greatly influenced by the ministry of Paul at Ephesus. And uh, one of the members there, that one of the converts was a man by the name of Epaphras, who was one who initially gave the gospel message to those that became part of the church in the area of Colossus. So this is a letter, it's interesting when you think about it, most of the letters that Paul writes, he's writing to groups that he's familiar with, that he's been there. This particular church is not that, it's, it's a group that he has not personally seen their face, but he is, as Dr. Epaphras has come in bothered to visit him, going about 1300 miles from the city of Colossae to Rome, where Paul is writing out of prison. And he writes this little epistle, and we're having the privilege of looking at it. Before we read the text, let's ask God's blessing on this time. Dear Father, we thank you for the fact that you are God. That means so much when we use the word, if we know and understand it means that you are the only one that exists that has the power of being in yourself. Everything, everything else has been created by you. And that includes us. We are here as your subjects this morning. We are desirous to meet with you and to open your precious word and to have your word speak to our hearts and have our lives challenged. We want to be instruments. We talked about that earlier, being instruments that are used by you to reach the people in our area. We are aware that things are not right in this country, in the world. We know that it has fallen. Not only do we know that theologically from the scripture, but we certainly can tell that in the experience that we have and see around us. So we pray that you'll help us to be both good listeners as well as obedient. And uh, I pray that the word will be clear. That's an awesome responsibility. And I ask you, Lord, I really do ask you to protect me from error, from hypocrisy, from uh, snobbery or boasting or whatever. Just help, if it's possible for me to kind of be out of the way and your, your word would go forth, that you would do that and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that would be exalted and lifted up. We need him. And I pray that our hearts would feed on him, that um, as the song says, we would look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so we pray for that. We pray that you would be honored here today in our midst there are some that may be listening by way of Zoom or internet, or maybe this would go out uh, just in a tape. I don't know. I know that people record them sometimes, but whatever. We just pray that in everything that is said and done, your word would be clear and the Savior would be honored and lifted up and glorified. And that would be the fruit of this ministry. And we just thank you for this time and we pray the blessing upon it. And we ask it in Jesus' name, thanksgiving. Amen. 
Paul writing to the church of the Colossae has been expressing in verses 1 through 8 of kind of an introduction. He's very thankful for the church, thankful for the ministry of the church. He's been praying about that, thankful for the faith, the hope, and the love that has been manifested and for the gospel that has gone forth. And for these things, he begins to talk in verse 9 uh, about expressing his gratitude and his thankfulness to God for that. And uh, as he begins to look, he says in verse 9, for this reason, this thing just mentioned, since the day we heard of it, which tells us that Paul, once he learned about the church and learned what was going on, uh, he and some of his associates there in that fellowship there in that prison and those that would come and visit him, they began to pray and to ask for God's blessing on that. And uh, that blessing unfolds in the next few verses. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the full knowledge or the experiential knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's praying that they'd have this knowledge, not just head knowledge. There is a difference between having something in your head and having something in your heart. We were talking earlier uh, in the Sunday school class about believing, and um, we frequently think of believing as a something that takes place at the snap of the fingers or the spur of the moment. But biblically speaking, belief kind of is a process where people learn and grow and it takes a period of time for things to, to come in and impact your life. And a lot of times uh, we've seen it in the disciples and we've probably seen it in our lives where we learn and, and believe something and then we kind of drift away and then we come back and have our faith reaffirmed and uh, this belief reaffirmed. And so it's a process. We are very fickle at times and easily sidetracked i know that i am and uh, i can be on fire when i leave here and then five minutes later i can be having all kinds of perverted thoughts and things like that that are not honoring to christ so um just in the light of that uh, he's he's praying here that these people will be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding filled is to be controlled have that knowledge that you have in your head to control your life and your thoughts and your actions. We need something like that to control us because if we left for ourselves, we really just stray off into to left field or right field and we kind of go off the deep end. And so um, uh, uh, the conscience is a, is a very important aspect of our spiritual makeup and it's a gift that God has given to us and it's a very important voice that he's placed within our heart help us know when we are veering off what we know in our minds going off in the deep end the conscience is god's jiminy cricket remember the the walt disney program with jiminy cricket was the conscience of the uh, i forget the, the okay whatever anyway he was the conscience that would give him wisdom and knowing where he was going to go off the deep end or whatever and that conscience is very important really is very important it keeps uh, keeps our feet on track and um, to violate your conscience uh, is to feel guilty and a lot of times the, the overflow of that guilt the guilt feelings are emotional struggles struggles that you have uh, including things like depression and, and uh, things of that nature that can overflow out of a conscience that is really guilty and violating and you ignore it it can become very discouraging so he is praying that they would be controlled by this knowledge of his will, both in wisdom, uh, 
that is the ability to apply it to life and uh, understanding which is the ability to make it logically uh, accessible and logically applicable but not just regular wisdom and understanding but spiritual wisdom and understanding that is wisdom and understanding in the realm of the spirit and the spiritual nature that's our relationship with the lord so paul is praying a lot there we've talked about that that he's asking for this church the lord to bless his church in all this area of having full knowledge <clears throat> and all spiritual wisdom but it's not just having that puffed up knowledge it is a knowledge <clears throat> that is intended to help them grow to be applicable to their life it's a spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the lord we are well as they were in Antioch, we were called Christians, that is little Christs. If we are ambassadors or little Christs or representatives of the Lord, we want to be uh, a representative of the highest caliber. We want it to be a worthy calling, a worthy walk, a worthy pursuit, so that it, it does not distract from the one that we love and the one that we say we are following. And so we want our walk, our step-by-step, -step, that's the idea of walk, our daily progress to be that which honors and glorifies the savior that puts a responsibility on my shoulders doesn't it it puts a responsibility on your shoulders that you want your life to be an attractive representation or attractive testimony to the master that we call and the master that has called us and that we love and so we want to do that so he says here that we have that you would have this wisdom and understanding this knowledge so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the lord to please him in all respects we'll stop there um, this idea of pleasing him is a is a frequent term that's used in the scripture uh, for example uh, paul john in first john 3 22 talking about having confidence in our prayers uh, he says we have confidence in our prayers because uh, we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. We want to do the things. We want to be practicing the things, pursuing the things that are pleasing to the Lord. That's a good, a good, worthy goal to have, to want to do something, to strive to do something that's pleasing to the Lord, to please him. I think that's just before we leave that text i think it's an amazing thought that we can actually do something that makes the lord uh i don't want to say happy but it's pleasing to him that that honors him that we and and i want that i want that because i the lord has given so much for me and he's everything i have is dependent on him and everything you have is dependent on him and so we want to do the things that are that are pleasing to him and honor him uh, Paul says in Second uh, Corinthians that his ambition was to be pleasing or acceptable to the Lord. He wanted to be pleasing to the Lord, and uh, that's a that's a that's a good ambition. That's a that's a worthy pursuit. That's something that I want, and I find so often, and I'm going to get to this in a minute, but so often I misplace my focus of trying to please the Lord, and I end up doing to please myself. I become the focus of what I'm living for and what I want to please. 
And I fight that battle. Now, you, I, I know you probably get tired of me talking about it, but I fight that battle every day. And it's a hard one. It's, it's, uh, and I, sometimes I don't know if I'm gaining ground or not. It's a, it's a struggle. Paul uses uh, in 2 Timothy, talking about the commitment of the Lord, um, and uses the analogy of being a soldier and says that they are undistracted uh, by the affairs of everyday life so that they can please the one who has entrusted them or listed them as a soldier. And that's true in the military. You, you don't want to be distracted. You want to please your commanding officer. You want to please your, the person that's over you. And you strive for that. That's a major, major thing, major issue. And it's very important. So here is, in this little text here, he mentions that. He says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Um, but the scripture doesn't leave it there. And I want to take a little bit of time with this. And that is that scripture makes it clear that we don't always seek to please him. In fact, the scripture seems to indicate the other way around. I was thinking of the passage in Isaiah where you have the suffering servant. John MacArthur did a series on that, that section of scripture. And in that passage in Isaiah 53, 6, it just simply says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So that instead of coming and holding the Lord before us and seeking to honor him and to please him and to serve him, which we probably do when we leave church or when we finish our quiet time in the morning, but very quickly we end up getting the focus on something that we want to please ourselves, to do what we want. And uh, he used the analogy there of sheep. And I think that's, John mentioned it, the primary application was Israel, but it's also us. We do, each one of us can say that. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. We sought to please number one. When I was in Germany, the statement was uh, uh, living for ish for myself. That's what I live for, live for myself. That's, that's the case there. And so Isaiah says, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We have wandered away. We've lost the focus that we should have. It's easy to do that. We, we talk about that, but don't pass over it too quickly because that's a serious thing. If we, if we say we love the Savior, if we, if we love Jesus, I've, I uh, had friends that I've talked to and I asked them if they love Jesus and, and uh, they said, yes, I do. That's a, that's a real good thing. But how do you know you love Jesus? Well, the way you know is if you follow him, if you serve him, if you obey him, it doesn't do any good to say, I love Jesus. If your life doesn't bear it up, doesn't show it. And I, that's, and I, and I, that's why I preach to you about myself, not preaching about myself, but that I want to be, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be one thing on Sunday morning in the pulpit and then something else during the week. And your kids and family can tell real quick that you are, and your associates at work can do that as well. So it's really important. So here is this, this statement. We want to be real. I do I want to be genuine. I know you do too. And that's what God calls us to do. Uh, in Romans chapter three, Paul talking about the Gentiles and the, versus the Jews and the religious standing between the two, comparing Jews and Gentiles, Paul writes in Romans three, what then, he's, what he's doing is he's summarizing the standing of Jews and Gentiles 
And who has the advantage before the Lord? What then are we? You could substitute there in Romans 8, uh, Romans 3, 9. Are we Gentiles? That's what he's talking about. Are we Gentiles better than they? No. But we have already charged. That word charge is kind of a legal term. It means it's, been, it's, it's a legal point of guilt. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Both. As it is written, and then, and this is, he's starting out with Psalm 14, but there's other passages too, but he's, he starts out, he says, there is none righteous, that is, there are none that are right and proper before God. There are none righteous, not even one. That language is so specific, it leaves no wiggle room for, for coming out from under it. The none righteous, not even one. Let's stop there. Does that include us? Absolutely. All right. What has to happen before you can stand before God and be accepted? You're going to have to be righteous. If they're none righteous, not even one, then the entire human race is already pronounced guilty. They're already condemned. He goes on to say, there is none who understands. And that, uh, and I'm not going to turn to it, but back in Proverbs 9, 10, and other of the passages it talks about how we have fallen behind without knowledge of god and knowledge of self and that's what he's talking about none understand how how wretched they are none understand the greatness of god's holiness none understand this great gulf we we go on our merry way and we you know go to disney world have a good time watch a good movie and uh i, I don't know if it was a big thing right recently was that tom cruise movie that was a big thing and another one Elvis movies, that was a big thing and stuff. We go see these movies and we get involved, but we forget the greatness of the fact that we are wretched, vile sinners and God is righteous and holy. And ultimately, we are gonna we have a destiny and appointment to stand before him. That's a serious wake-up call. The, the the challenge that and I know it's gonna even be heavier in one sense for me because I pass for church. And what I teach and what I say, that responsibility is an awesome responsibility. This is God's flock. You're his sheep. He doesn't want me messing with his sheep. All right? It's pretty serious. It's a very serious thing. And so um, here he says, the none righteous, no, not one. The none that understands these things that are so important. There are none who seeks or searches for God. That, that includes all of us. All of us, have, none of us come into this picture wanting to please God or seeking him or, or honoring him. None of us do. Uh, there is none who seeks to search for God. All have turned aside, all have turned away uh, from the Lord, from the truth, really. Together, that is, that word together means at the same time, they have become useless. So that they not only turn aside, but they have become useless. There is none who does good. That word good means goodness of heart and excellence. And none who do that, there's not even one. We'll stop there. That's enough to let us know that we are not in the position of seeking God. When he says to please him, something's got to happen to us to make us do that. It's not going to happen by itself. It doesn't just flow out automatically. In John chapter 3, um, this rejection that uh, can be seen by the, the words of Jesus uh, in, in the word of John, John chapter three, that verse that you're familiar with is John three sixteen. for God did not send his, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
in John 17, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. You're familiar with that verse. God didn't send his son into the world to judge it. The idea of judging means to give verdict and to pass sentence. God didn't send his son into the world to give a verdict and pass a sentence on the world, but rather that the world might be saved through him. So saved or delivered through him. So God sent his son not to pass sentence on the world, but rather the world might be delivered through him. He who believes in him is not judged. And that idea of belief uh, you can include and trust in and serve and rely on him. He who relies on him is not does not have a sentence passed on him. He who does not believe has been has been has a sentence already passed on him because he has not believed and put his trust in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the verdict. Well, this is the sentence of Christ's coming. That is that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. That is true by me. That is true of my life. That is true of your life too. Given to ourselves, that's what we do. We want to do what we want to do. We want to pursue the things we like to pursue. Now, we joke around about it. We, I talk to Rick about these muscle cars and things that they're really nice looking and we really like them. And some of you can talk about that without any problem. But then something else you talk about, like Alabama football things or uh, different things that we talk about, girlfriend, boyfriend things, and a lot of things that are high on our list of things that we like. But the thing that we kind of run from is light because light exposes our self-centeredness and our greed. And so he says here, lights come into the world, men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And that's the truth. That is the truth. And, I, and we just don't like how many deeds exposed. And that's a good way to clear a church. If you start preaching about saying people don't like it, sometimes <laughs> they get up and leave. That's true. But it's necessary. He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been brought to God. And that's true as well. We, once the Lord has changed our heart and we want to please him, we come to the light. And even though the light steps on our toes and it exposes the depravity in our hearts and the sinfulness of our lives, we come because we like the cleansing. We like the, the refreshing that comes and the, the fellowship with the Savior who gave himself for us. And so we like that. Bible says uh, that we are we come into this world, we're dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians talks about that. That you who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you formerly, this is Ephesians 2 1. You you were dead in your trespasses and sins. When you listen, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is what you were like. And among them, we too. So we all included this. We too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, judging, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by very nature children of wrath. How do you like that? We were children of wrath. We were those that were children, offsprings, little ant lambs but we were living under the wrath of Almighty God, a holy God, a, a, a thrice holy God. We were children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, not new God, but God, 
I love this phrase, being rich in mercy. And I'm so, so thankful, so thankful for his mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. So we were dead. We didn't know about our deeds. We didn't realize the greatness of our sin. That was the reason for our ignorance and lack of understanding. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. And the verse says, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the eons to come, all this was done so that in the eons to come, which is still a long way off in the future, he might show, or the word literally is to prove, the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us. So what's happening, what he's doing is one of the things is to prove his grace, his mercy, his goodness to sinners, that he is a God of mercy and grace. He is a good God. And that this displays one of his characters that uh, is not normally displayed in the expanse of the universe. His power is, but his mercy and grace is not. But here it's on display. And we are be we will be show and tell illustrations of that mercy and grace. And so this is a good thing. I think of, of Paul in Colossians, which is the book we are studying now. Uh, Paul in Colossians, um, and it's one of my one of the verses that often speaks to me talks about this. He says, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking those things above. This is chapter three of Colossians. We've been raised with Christ, which we have, if we're in him. Keep seeking those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind or your affection on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So get this, here we are, we're talking about, we, we want to do everything to please him. We in our normal flesh do not please him, we please ourselves, we're living for ourselves, that's the very goal of what, we're, what we do all the time. Uh, we are dead in our, in our transgression, we're dead in sin, but he has made us alive. He has called us and he has opened our eyes and he has, he has enabled us to hear his voice, to live in newness of life, and he tells us, to uh, seek those things that are above, to pursue those things that are above. That, that, that now that we have life, now that we can think, he wants us to pursue those things that are above, keep seeking those things uh, that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. Set your minds, uh, fix your minds, fix your heart on things above, not on the things on the earth. And that, that of course means your Bible reading, your prayer time, study the things that you do to, to invest time to invest effort to invest prayer uh, in those things and to really pray I, this these last i guess the last two or three weeks i've spent probably more time in just casual prayer when i say casual prayer i don't mean when i'm in my bed in the morning have my quiet time that's 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 prayer i usually go through a list and pray for people but it's a i'm praying for specific things while I'm working, when I have, have time and there's nothing going on, I pray and I pray and I pray. And I've done that more in the last, I guess, last maybe three or four, maybe a month or so, than I've done any time I ever remember in my life, just because I've really been burdened by things and praying things. And, uh, and you, if you think about me, you can pray for me. 
pray that my heart will be, that I'll be honest and fair and not hypocritical, that the Lord will help me to be genuine in my walk with him because I can see so many areas where it's not. And I'm, I'm not trying to scare you, but I just can see that. I, I know that the main thing is to put Jesus as the main thing, to really put him first and to seek to follow him. And yet it, it's supposed to be very easy, but it isn't always as easy as we think. So it's, it's easy for us to do that. So we want to be honest and fair and, and without hypocrisy before the Lord. I think of the, the parable of the sword, and I will need to finish up. This is, you, you, you know the parable of the sword where Jesus went out. We've talked about, it's one of my favorite passages where the sword goes out to sow and he sows the seed into four kinds of soil. There was a hard ground, one's a, a rocky, ground with shallow ground and other ones the ground with feet with weeds and then other good soil. And it's interesting to me that in that that passage there, the passage is, is dealing with the heart of the people who receive the message, which is what we're talking about, the heart, our hearts. And you gotta know that the heart that receives the message is receptive because somebody has bothered to prepare the heart, to prepare the soil, to make it ready. That's the, that's the important thing. So if God is speaking to your heart, listen, and don't run, don't turn away and don't think, well, I've got plenty of time, I've got uh, plenty of duties and other things I can do. If God is speaking to your heart, he may never, you may live a hundred years from now, and yet you, he may never speak to your heart. If he doesn't speak to your heart, your heart's not gonna be prepared. Okay? It's just not that simple. So if the Lord is speaking to your heart, listen to him. Take him what he's saying seriously. This parable of the sword is very important. Um, and it's, it's important for us to, to recognize that the heart is important, that we want the heart to be changed. And the Lord is the only one that can do that. So that's, that's, that's a good thing. This parable of the sword, by the way, the soil that has infected uh, with weeds and things is the one that speaks to me the most because I can see if I have a job, I have money, and I have things that are coming in like that, and I have friends, it's easy to distract my attention, to enjoy these things, and to take the Lord and put him on the back burner. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to do that. For me, it's easy to do that. I don't want to do that. So I want to be faithful. So you can pray for me, and you, and you can pray for yourself. Pray for the church. Pray for the, the leadership as we're talking about God's direction for the church, that we will be sensitive to him. Because it's really important what goes on in our hearts, between our, the affections of our minds, where we focus our lives and how we seek to please him is very, very, very important. And it matters uh, not only now, but it matters for the rest of eternity because what we do has an effect. So we'll stop there. We, we can come back next time. We're going to be looking at fruit. Uh, as he talks about bearing, and good work, bearing fruit in every good work. But we'll look at that next time. We already talked about that to some degree, but We'll probably find some of this we can look at. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for the depth of, of your word and the call that you've given to us. And thank you that you enable us to put things aside that distract our attention, that turn our focus away. Thank you for the call that is a good call. It's not a bad one. And that when you, when you tell us to put you first, like you did in Luke 14, where you said, no man can be my disciple who does not hate his mother, father, wife, sister, brothers, and uncles, and whatever. 
It's not a bad call. It doesn't mean that we go out and just hate people. It means that we put you first. And that's a good thing. If we do that, we'll be a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better brother, a better sister, a better preacher than if we didn't. And so I pray that, that you'll speak to our hearts and help us to take you very seriously and to really seek to be pleasing to you in all of our hearts, with all of our life, with all of our resources, with all of our time. And um, help us to do that, not just while we're sitting here, but that we'll do that in the coming weeks and months. And help us in this full knowledge to make room in our day to educate our minds and our hearts by your word and for your glory, for your truth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.